Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Where the Monsters Are. I'm Louise. And I'm Sarah. If you enjoy listening to us, please like and subscribe to the podcast. And if you have a few minutes, please give us a review on Podchaser. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Where the Monsters Are. A quick word of warning before I start. The following story deals with the murder of a child. So if this is something that you don't want to listen to, you might want to listen to one of our other podcasts instead. This week's episode is going to be about the abduction and murder of young Fanny Adams, who was abducted and murdered by solicitor's clerk Frederick Baker in 1867 in England. Fanny Adams was born on the 30th of April 1859 in Tanhouse Lane, Alton, in the English county of Hampshire. She was the fourth child of George, a bricklayer, and his wife Harriet. She had three older siblings, Ellen, George and Walter. She also had two younger sisters, Lizzie, who was born in 1862, and Ada, who was born in 1866. By the time she was eight years old, Fanny was described as being a tall, comely and intelligent girl, looking to be several years older than she was, with a lively and cheerful disposition. So, what happened? On the 24th of August, 1867, Fanny was out playing in Flood Meadow, near the River Way, with her younger sister Lizzie and a friend, Minnie Warner. While they were playing, they were approached by a young man wearing a black frock coat, light waistcoat and trousers. He offered Fanny a halfpenny, which is a halfpenny, to go for a walk with him. The children had seen him at church meetings, which was probably why they were initially unconcerned at going with him. There seems to be a bit of confusion about what exactly happened next, because there are some accounts that say that after he managed to get them to agree to go to the hollow, which was a quiet country road, he then tried to get Fanny to go with him into a hop grove, but the other children were suspicious of him and he gave them a halfpenny each and told them to go home. The other story goes that the children were playing at the Amory Hop already, which was near where Fanny's family lived. The man offered Fanny a halfpenny to go with him and when the other girls said they also wanted to go with him, he gave them three halfpennies to go away and buy some sweets. Minnie and Lizzie ran off with their coins, leaving Fanny with the man. The last that Minnie and Lizzie saw of Fanny was the young man picking Fanny up and carrying her into the hop field. From what I found, I think that's the most likely story. There was an illustration created which ran in an issue of the Illustrated Police News which showed Fanny's abduction, which I'll include on our Instagram. After having spent the afternoon since Fanny's abduction playing and eating the sweets they'd bought with their halfpennies, Minnie and Lizzie made their way to their respective homes. A neighbour, Mrs Gardner, asked where Fanny was and the children then explained what had happened. Mrs Gardner was obviously alarmed at this and rushed to Mrs Adams, Fanny's mum, and told her what they'd told her. Both women rushed up the lane where they met the same man coming from the direction of the hollow. They asked him what he'd done with Fanny, to which he replied that he'd done nothing with her. He admitted that he'd given the children money but only to buy sweets, which he often did with other children. He said that Fanny had left him unharmed to meet up with the other girls. He had an air of respectability about him, which made the women trust what he was telling them as the truth, especially when he told them that he was a clerk of a local solicitor named William Clement. It was this calm air of respectability that convinced the women to let him leave. When Fanny failed to return home by seven that night, her mother and a group of neighbours began to search the hollow but found no sign of Fanny anywhere. In the nearby hop garden, however, local labourer Thomas Gates, who was a Crimean War veteran who had served at the charge of the Light Brigade, he found her. 
This is where I'm going to be describing the wounds that Fanny had sustained, so just a warning in case this isn't something you want to listen to because it is quite graphic. Fanny had sustained some truly horrific injuries. Thomas found Fanny's head stuck on two hot poles. An ear had been removed from her head which had two large cuts from mouth to ear across the temple. Her other remains were found close by. The head, arms and legs had been separated from the rest of her body. There were three cuts on the left side of her chest and she had a deep cut on her left arm which was dividing the muscles. Fanny's forearm had been cut off at the elbow joint and her left leg nearly severed off at the hip joint with her left foot cut off at the ankle. Yeah, this is not, it's, it's not what I was expecting when I found out about this. Her right leg was torn from her body and the whole contents of her pelvis and chest had been completely removed. Five further incisions had been made on her liver and her heart had been cut out. Both of her eyes had been cut out and were found in the nearby river way. Oh dear. Yeah. Most of her body parts were collected on that day, but an arm, foot and intestines were not found until the next morning. One foot was still in a shoe and still clutched in one hand with the halfpennies that Baker had given to her. The breastbone was never found, so I'm guessing that might have also ended up in the riverway. Harriet, obviously devastated at what had happened to her daughter, collapsed with grief on the way to find her husband, who was playing cricket at the time, to tell him what had happened. Word was sent to him instead, so George went home to collect a loaded shotgun and went out to find the culprit. Neighbours stopped him and instead sat with him through the night. The police tried to find the murder weapons, believing them to be knives, but their attempts were unsuccessful, likely because of the amount of well-meaning members of the search party who had inadvertently trampled any evidence in their search for Fanny. A stone which still had flesh and hair sticking to it was found by local painter William Walker and he handed it in to the police as evidence, as he thought that it might have been the murder weapon. Fanny's remains were collected up by searchers and taken to a house called Leathern Bottle, which was at 16 Amory Street, to be sewn together only yards away from her home. Later that evening, Superintendent William Cheney arrested the obvious suspect at his workplace, the solicitor's office in Alton High Street. 29-year-old solicitor's clerk, Frederick Baker, denied knowing anything about it before being escorted by the police through the angry crowd that had converged on Alton Police Station. It became evident quite quickly that the wristbands of Baker's shirt and his trousers were spotted with blood. His boots, socks and trouser bottoms were wet. That won't hang me, will it? He asked them nonchalantly, explaining that it was his habit to step into the water when he was out walking. He couldn't, however, explain where the bloodstains on his clothes had come from. When he was searched, two small knives, one of them stained with blood, were found on him. Locking Baker away, the police interviewed witnesses to discover the suspect's whereabouts for that afternoon. His colleagues confirmed that he had left the solicitor's office shortly after 1pm, returning at 3.25pm. He again went out and returned again at about 5.30. Mrs Adams and Mrs Gardner had come across him just after 5pm. It was a distasteful possibility that if he had killed Fanny during his first absence, had he returned to commit further mutilation on little Fanny's body, nobody will ever know. Baker was acting extremely suspiciously when he returned. He spoke to one of his colleagues, a Morris Biddle, at about 6pm that evening and as Biddle later told police, Baker appeared disturbed and had told him, it will be very awkward for me if the child is murdered. 
Biddle explained that they had later gone to a local pub, the Swan, for a drink where Baker had exhibited a morose expression. He'd said to Biddle that he might leave town the following Monday. When Biddle had said that he might have difficulty finding a new job, Baker significantly commented, I could go as a butcher. On the following Monday, while searching Baker's office desk, Superintendent Cheney found his diary. It contained a damning entry which Baker admitted writing before his arrest. It read, 24th of August, Saturday. Killed a young girl. It was fine and hot. At his trial later, Baker said that this entry was written when he was drunk and simply meant that he was aware a girl had been murdered. The police surgeon, Dr Louis Leslie, believed that the rock which William Walker had found during the search for Fanny was indeed the murder weapon. His post-mortem finding was that Fanny's death had actually been caused by a crushing blow to the head. It was confirmed that there was no sign of rape on Fanny's body. Further investigations continued and a young boy whose parents lived close to the Adams family came forward as a witness. He said that he had seen Baker emerge from the hop garden at around 2pm on the day of the murder with his hands and clothes saturated with blood. He said that he saw Baker stoop down by the river and calmly wipe himself with a handkerchief, after which he put a small knife and another unidentified object in his jacket pocket. Superintendent Cheney requested an immediate forensic test in late October. All recovered clothing and the two knives that were taken from Baker at the time of his arrest were sent to Professor A.S. Taylor at Guy's Hospital in London, where they were tested in great detail over the next few weeks. He confirmed that the surprisingly small amount of blood on the knives was human. At the inquest, he said that he would have expected more blood on the knives and signs of rust if they had been washed. He was of the opinion that even an inexperienced person armed with the proper weapons could have dismembered a body in about half an hour. Blood would still run but would not have spurted from the body. The time it had taken Baker to cut the body into so many pieces most likely gave him the opportunity to choose his positioning so that he might not necessarily be covered in blood. I had that thought myself, wondering why he wasn't covered in blood when he met Mrs Adams and Mrs Gardner after That's coming away from where he had left Fanny in the hop field. The wristbands of his shirt, when it was examined, had been folded back and diluted blood was stained in the folds. Baker was being held in Winchester jail while investigations were ongoing and he was said to be talkative to the prison guards and especially the prison chaplain. He still insisted that his conscience was clear with regard to the murder and wondered who the guilty person was, hoping that he would be found. He ate and slept well, which was in contrast to how he was described when he later spent time in Alton Prison, where he reportedly struggled with disturbed sleep and physically shuddered at the sight of meat. You can infer from that that he was in denial in the start of the criminal case. Or he wanted them to think that. Yeah, maybe. I'm going to go into the inquest now. Things happened very quickly because on the Tuesday evening after Fanny's death, an inquest into her death began at the Duke's Head Inn under Deputy County Coroner Robert Harfield. This happened so quickly because at the time, British law required that in the case of a sudden death, an immediate inquest must be held under the jurisdiction of coroner. Coincidentally, the inn was located opposite the solicitor's offices where Baker worked. Baker's only response when asked if he wished to say anything was to say, no, sir, only that I am innocent. The jury heard the grisly evidence and returned a verdict of willful murder against Frederick Baker for killing and slaying Fanny Adams. He was then remanded to Winchester Prison to await the formal committal hearing. This was held at Alton Town Hall on Thursday the 29th of August before local magistrates. 
Still protesting his innocence, Baker was held over for trial at the next county assizes, which is a judicial inquest. A large crowd were waiting outside for him to be moved from the town hall and police had to sneak him out to protect him from them. Such was the anger in the town toward him. Fanny was buried the following afternoon. The service was presided over by the Reverend W. Wilkins, curate of Thedon. Many people were present and a collection was made to pay for a gravestone. The parish register entry for her burial has a footnote reading cruelly murdered by Frederick Baker. Fanny's headstone was erected in 1874. It was renovated a few years ago and still stands in the town cemetery on the old Odiham Road. The inscription on the headstone indicates the strength of feeling against the murderer. Sacred to the memory of Fanny Adams, aged eight years and four months, who was cruelly murdered August 24th, 1867. Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to kill both body and soul in hell. Matthew 10.28 This stone was erected by voluntary subscription. The headstone might have been our only reminder of the tragic events had it not been for the macabre humour of British sailors. I'm sure most British people are aware of the saying Sweet Fanny Adams, which is known to mean nothing at all and has evolved over time to come to be known as Sweet F.A. or Fuck All. I was obviously aware of this saying, but I didn't know before I started researching this story who Fanny Adams actually was. And it's a bit creepy to think that the saying comes from a poor little eight-year-old girl who was brutally murdered. Going back to what I was saying about British sailors, served with tins of mutton as the latest convenience food in 1869, they unhappily declared that their butchered contents must surely be sweet Fanny Adams. That's terrible. Yeah. The way that her body was found strewn over a wide area presumably encouraged speculation that parts of her had been found at the Royal Navy Victualling Yard in Deptford, which was a large facility which included stores, a bakery and an abattoir. A macabre sense of humour indeed. Gradually accepted throughout the armed services as a euphemism for sweet nothing, the term passed into common usage. As an aside, the large tins in which the meat was packed for the Royal Navy were often mess tins and appears that even today mess tins are colloquially known as fannies. I'm going to go into the trial now and what happened. Baker's trial began at Winchester Assizes on the 5th of December that year. Little Minnie Warner was carried into the court in order to testify. The defence were of the opinion, perhaps rightly, that it was impossible for Baker's small knives to have dismembered Fanny's body and focused on Baker's mental state. It was discovered during the trial that his father had some years before tried to kill his children. Baker was known to have a younger sister. A cousin had been interred four times in a mental asylum. Brain fever had caused the death of his sister and Baker himself had attempted suicide following a failed love affair. Unimpressed by the defence's arguments, the jury rejected Mr Justice Mellor's judicial advice that they might consider Baker to be irresponsible for his actions by reason of insanity, which would probably be the likely verdict if this case were to happen today. After deliberating for only 15 minutes, the jury returned a guilty verdict and Baker was sentenced to death. At 8am on Christmas Eve 1867, only 19 days after receiving a guilty verdict, Frederick Baker, aged 29, was hanged in front of Winchester County Jail before a crowd of 5,000 people, the majority of which consisted of women and children. 
It was one of the last public hangings in front of the jail. Following the execution, it emerged that Baker had written to George and Harriet Adams, Fanny's parents, expressing his deep sorrow for the crime that he had committed in an unguarded hour and not with malice aforethought. He sought their forgiveness, adding that he became enraged at her crying, but that it was done without any pain or struggle. He strongly denied that he had abused Fanny or had attempted to. The one thing that did become apparent when I was researching this was that there's very limited information out there about Frederick Baker. I did manage to find out that he was born about 1840 in Great Malvern, Worcestershire, which isn't actually that far from where we are. His parents were Thomas and Sarah Baker and he had eight siblings. He was the second youngest. He apparently moved to Alton from Guildford about two months before Fanny's murder for work and that since the children recognised him from church, he was religious. His parents had in fact raised him to be very religious. As I mentioned earlier, he'd come from a family with a history of mental illness with a father who'd apparently tried to kill Baker and his sister, but I couldn't tell how long before this that this had happened. I, I couldn't find any information about that other than that it had happened. You do have to wonder how this case would have turned out if it had happened now, considering that there is a lot more awareness about mental health issues now. And that's the very sad story of Sweet Fanny Adams. I mean, that's just really, really awful. Mm. Because, I mean, why did he do it? I don't know. I mean, because, it is, you know, if, if he hadn't abused her or anything like that, and he said in that letter that mm. she was crying, but she was obviously crying for a reason. Mm. I, I don't know. I'm just confused. Yeah. I'm confused as to why he would give her money and take her off. He obviously had had the intention to do something to well, her, otherwise he, he wouldn't have. have. Yeah. The issue you've got is that it's 1860, the 1860s. Mm. Records are not the best that were held back then. So you you know the basic information. You could probably find information in newspapers, which I'm guessing where a lot of this information came from. I did find some of the information, but it's more about Fanny rather than about the case itself. Obviously, it, it was her that he wanted because the other girls wanted to go and he gave them money to not go. So yeah. there was obviously a reason he picked her. Yeah, I, I don't know. And the fact that he'd only been there a couple of months. Mm. So whether he was watching her or, or what, I don't know. But, I mean, you can see that, I mean, the, the, the town just wanted to lynch him. Well, as they do with anything like that. The police obviously had to sneak him out and that. I mean, I found out during my research into true crime, into murders, I'd looked into it and I was like, oh, Fanny Adams, sweet Fanny Adams. And I was thinking, oh, is that connected to that saying? Well, yeah, because, I mean, I'd heard of that. You just don't. I mean, I can't say it's a saying that I have ever used, but, I mean... I bet people don't realise that's where it comes from. I had absolutely no clue that that's where it came from, even that it was from a murder. I had no idea about that. I think I was just researching, I was just Googling for murders and that came up and I was like, Fanny Adams. And I, I had just never heard of it. I mean, we're British. Sweet Fanny mm. Adams is something that's that's in our, <laughs> it's in our uh, history, you know. But yeah, that's one of the saddest things I've ever heard, to be honest. Mm. Yeah, poor girl. There are a lot of murders, missing mm. people that you don't ever hear about anyway. I mean, you only hear of a small percentage in the news. And, yeah. You know, so, I mean, yeah, she could have just been. And she probably would have been. She probably just would have been a headstone. Although the brutal nature of her crime, mm. you would assume that would have made. Well, you would you would think that, but, I mean, I'd never heard of it. Well, no, I mean, back in the in oh, them back days. In those, yeah, yeah. No, definitely, yeah. 
Very sad. Yeah. That's not what you were expecting when I told you I was doing Fanny Adams, is it? Oh, no. I mean, I don't really know what I was expecting, to be fair. I gathered it was some kind of a murder. Very sad. Mm-hmm. There's not really much I can... Because there's a lot, I've got lots of questions, but you're not going to be able to answer them. Like you say, you just don't know. You can't. No. I mean, as I say, a lot of the information that I did find was related to her, not necessarily mm. the murder. And it's very sort of contradictory, some of the stuff I found. Some of the articles were saying one thing and then some were saying another and there were not enough where you could say, oh, the majority of them are saying this, so this must be what happened. Mm. Lots of different things that they say happened. Yeah. Because of the time frame that you're talking, I mean, we're never going to know exactly what happened. No. So, um, okay, well, thank you for listening to what was probably quite a grisly case. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Where the Monsters Are. If you're enjoying our stories, you can subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform you listen on. Sarah, do you want to say anything else? No, not really about that one. That's, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's left me a bit uh, <laughs> lost for words, that one. Which for me is rare, as we know. It is very rare. <laughs> Okay then, alright, so we'll see you next week. Yep, see you next week. Uh, Have a good week everyone. Take care, bye. Bye.